Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations with the intention of demystifying, destigmatizing, and desensitizing what really gets talked about behind the closed doors of the therapy room. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Selkin. And we're seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. So join us as we dive into the ways that therapy can be connecting not only to yourself, but also to those around you. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. Um, I was so excited about this episode. This was one of my favorite teachers here in LA, um, Renee Wiley, who I've been going to his classes for a while pre-COVID, but you know he is just such an inspirational person in the community. I feel like I, you know, I like to say I get a Sunday sermon from him every time he posts on Sundays. And I was just really excited for V to meet him. Yeah. What a light, man. He was awesome. You know, what an interesting story and how he came here, which he gets into um, and how it's like shaped him as a person and the work that he has then decided or kind of fallen, not fallen into, but the intuition in him is mm. so strong. Like he has just followed his gut and his intuition into what his life purposes. And I, I love meeting people like this because I talk about this so often with clients and just in, in my work, right? Like on my social platforms about learning to turn up the volume on our, our inner voice and how so many of us don't even know what it's saying, right? Let alone have it be loud enough to hear. And it sounds like so much of what Renee has done throughout his life is just continue over and over again to listen to it. And now he can't even not listen to it. Yeah. Love it's that. so loud. I love it. we have Renee Wiley. Renee is a fitness instructor, group fitness instructor, as well as a running coach. And Danae actually knows him. She brought him in because she's taken his classes before. And I think she, uh, she fell in love with his classes. So yes. Yeah. V's definitely heard me rave about Renee's classes a little bit. He's definitely my favorite instructor at my gym, Equinox. And I so wish I was the only person that felt that way because I say all the time, Renee, that getting into your classes is like winning the lottery. It's like you have to be ready because they have these like signups ahead of time and you have to like be ready with your phone and no matter what, you will not get in because <laughs> his classes are just that popular. And um, I think, Renee, that is a little bit because it doesn't feel like you're just doing group fitness when you're in your class. It really feels like you're like with a motivational coach, you know, motivational speaker, you really sort of challenge people to be introspective about their lives and what's going on with them. Um, I really feel that about your Instagram. I feel like you just do so much to sort of um, challenge us to really look at the way we're living our lives and showing up for our lives. And, you know, what I thought was so powerful was when this whole COVID moment happened and we didn't even really have a sense for what it was yet. You know, we were sort of like getting more information slowly. And I just remember that you were like the first person before any of the gyms, any of the studios, any of the group fitness, anything um, made any sort of calls. You said, I'm taking myself out. I'm canceling mm -hmm. my classes. I'm done with this because I feel like it's the right thing to do for everybody. And I just really feel like you solidified yourself as such a leader in that moment. You gave like, I remember looking at your post and being like, oh man, this is real, you know? And I think you called on everyone to like take this seriously. And you have just really led from that moment. And I've just been in awe of you, like watching your posts, just like so um, inspired and just moved by so much of what you're writing. So thank you for that, first off. I appreciate it. Thank you and so much. Yeah, thank you for being here to talk to us. And, and so, you know, I don't really know a lot about your story. I know you grew up in LA, but I feel like V and I would just love to hear a little bit about you. Absolutely. Um, so I was actually, I grew up in LA, but I was actually born in the Caribbean. Oh. I was born in Trinidad. Do you know where Trinidad is? Mm -hmm. yeah. I do. I was born in Trinidad and Tobago, and I moved out here probably when I was, I want to say, six or seven years old, really young. Mm -hmm. um, and LA is where I've been ever since. LA is definitely, you know, what I call home. Uh, grew up in like the Venice, West LA, you know, Palms area. Kind of grew up finding my way. It was an interesting way that I came about coming to the States because I actually lived with my grandparents when I lived in the Caribbean. And uh, my mom left me when I was about one to kind of pursue uh, other endeavors in the U.S., you know, mm -hmm. as 
most people dream of doing, you know, in the Caribbean and stuff like that, you know, because the U.S. was, you know, the U.S. And it wasn't until my mom kind of settled down and uh, met my stepdad and um, started to actually have kids again is when I actually came over to the States. And so came out here and it was interesting because it was such a culture shock to me, you know? Growing up in a place where there's not that many cars driving around, where you walk everywhere, do you know what I'm saying? And then flying into LAX where you're seeing these things like freeways and like people going 50 miles an hour down the street, <laughs> stuff like that. You're just kind of like, what is going on right now? You know, like my stepdad told me I was scared to cross the street by myself hmm. um, when I was younger because of how fast the cars were going. And so grew up in the LAUSC system and just kind of try to find my way. And, and most importantly, I feel, um, try to find my identity in a sense too, because uh, being that I didn't grow up with my mom, like through like those kind of crucial developing mm -hmm. years, I felt like I knew she was my mom, but it didn't feel like she was my mom, you know? Right. So I was really independent uh, for a lot of years of my life, even when I was younger, you know? So I just kind of did my own thing and um, uh, made decisions for myself. And, um, and yeah, you know, so I kind of, I felt lacked connection in that sense. So I always felt kind of like the lone wolf and just kind of, mm -hmm. you know, taking charge and doing certain things that um, I really wanted to pursue. Um, so did high school, I started college, and then I just didn't really know what, what I wanted to do. And so I dropped out, started working a bunch of like odd jobs. And I literally worked a bunch of jobs. I worked retail for a while. I was a bartender. I worked at the Goodwill for a hot second because I loved thrifting. That's, that's a big hobby of mine. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just um, was trying to find my way. And um, I remember I was bartending and I, I had just about reached my expiration date when it came to bartending. I noticed that every day in the morning when I'd wake up, I just felt inclined to just work out. Didn't really understand why. I was always into like workout fads and stuff like that, but it was more than that. And I didn't really understand why though. I just kind of felt the need to do it. And then it came time for me to kind of get another job because I just felt like, okay, if all I'm going to do is bartend, like this can't be it. You know, this cannot be, you know, what I'm here for. Mm. Um, so I went on Craigslist as what we used to do, I guess. I know people still do this. I Back in the day. <laughs> I literally looked at just, you know, fitness gyms and studios and stuff like that. And a place called Kinetic, it was a cycling studio in Brentwood, mm -hmm. was open at the time. It's no longer open, actually. Put out something for like a front desk person. And so I was like, you know what? Sure, why not? And I had no clue what cycling or spin was about. Like mm -hmm. none. And um, went in and the boss and I hit it off really quickly and he hired me on the spot. And uh, he said, hey, if you're going to work here, I'm going to need you to participate in the classes and, you know, mm -hmm. stuff like that. And so I was a runner, always really been a runner. And I was like, you know what? Sure. This is it's probably the same thing. Cardio is cardio. Yeah. Took my first class and died. Literally, <laughs> like, it, it barely keep up. It was just a different kind of cardio. I started to get better and better and better. And then he's like, hey, you're pretty good at this. Maybe you should become an instructor. And I was like, absolutely not. And um, he asked me a couple times afterwards, and I was like, no. And then after the fourth time, he's like, hey, I paid for your certification. You're going to do this. Wow. And I was like, oh, oh, okay, you know. And um, I went through the certification and started teaching. And how do I put it? I was really afraid to teach for so many reasons. One, I didn't see myself as a public speaker. I was very mm. social, mm. but I wasn't, you know what I'm saying? I didn't see myself as a public speaker in that sense. Even just teaching a class or instructing a class to um, the kind of environment that was around, I guess, cycling and, you know, spinning at the time, I was really intimidated by, like, real cyclists would come in, you know what I'm saying, the ones that would, like, you know, go 50 miles down, like, Mandeville Canyon and, you know, stuff like that, <laughs> and they had the, the really expensive bikes and the, and the, and the unitard, you know, you know, stuff, and I'm just kind of like, I, there's no way, I don't know what I can teach you, so, mm. you know, it's weird, and then also, too, being that it was a boutique studio, and I know there's a lot more studios out right now, a lot more fitness studios, I feel like, you know, a few years back, boutique studios were just that. It was boutique fitness, you know? And so it was a lot of people that would come in, like I said, this is in Brentwood. Uh, a lot of people, you know what I'm saying, kind of, you know, I guess you say more successful or like, you know, have more money and stuff like that. And for me, I, I didn't grow up that way, you know? And so I felt like I couldn't relate. And once mm -hmm. again, I was always in my head as to like, I don't know what I can teach you, but mm. you know, here it goes. And so was teaching for about the first year and I just, you know, 
copying what other people were doing and saying and stuff like that. And I just wasn't really getting it until one day I was just like, you know what, this is it. And I got offered this class. Um, it was at a horrible time slot, you know, from what they say. It was, uh, it was a Monday night at 7.30 p.m. Where pretty much like everyone's already eating dinner or, you know, going to, you know, going to sleep or whatever. And I decided to call that class my effort class. And the reason why I called it that was because I wanted to actually just be authentically myself. I wanted to say the things I wanted to say. Mm -hmm. I wanted to teach the one I wanted to teach. I wanted to play the music I wanted to play just unapologetically. And I was like, I have nothing to lose here. So, you know, I'm saying this is kind of a, a broken time slot or whatever. Why not? And sure enough, within a couple of months, that's the class that filled up right away. That's the class that actually made all of my other classes fill up. That's the way that I actually got recruited to work for Equinox. Um, one, of the, one of the head managers for one of the locations heard about my class, came and took it, and uh, decided to you know, give me an offer. That class is actually the class that kind of changed my life. I think from there on, just started to you know, go on and and really try to grow and learn as much as I can as an instructor, but also give a little bit more, give a little bit more than just fitness instruction, you know? No, but I think what's so amazing about that is that what I feel like a lot of people can, can kind of relate to is this idea of, so my, my partner always uses this term, are you in a chasing state or are you, what is it, Danae, chasing or... <laughs> forget the other one anyway the chasing state right it's like are you really like after something and trying and kind of yeah. you know, just imagine yourself being almost like desperate right yeah. um and what is so amazing about what you said is that you hit this point where you were like fuck it right it was your fuck it class yes yeah. and you kind of threw caution to the wind and just said i'm gonna do what i want to do and i'm gonna have fun with it right and i'm gonna let myself be satisfied by it and then whatever yeah. happens happens and then yeah. that is the moment that was your tipping point Absolutely. And so I feel like a lot of people can, you know, relate to that, whether they've had that experience or not. It's like, it's this idea of, are you grasping? Are you desperate for something to happen? And if you're trying to force it, no matter mm -hmm. what that it is, right, yes. is it going to actually happen? Probably not. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Know? Absolutely. It's funny because even throughout the, the first year, year and a half of me, you know, beginning to teach, um, it was literally just that. It was me like, okay, he says this, so I'm going to say it. But mm -hmm. it's not that, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? It, it, it doesn't sound the same when I say it. You know what I'm saying? He did this, so I'm going to do it the same way that he did it. You know, he played these songs in this class. I'm going to play those songs. And I may not even deliver that song the same way that someone else is. I don't know if you guys know, but I DJ as well, too. Yes. And um, so that was a big part, you know, of what really helped me along in terms of my career. But even, you know, with that, a lot of DJs know, like, two DJs could play the same song but it may not be the same energy, mm -hmm. you know, it can be completely different. Um, so yeah. So I, I think it finally, you know, took that part of me to be like, you know what? I just want to be myself. Mm -hmm. You know, I, it's exhausting to try and be like this person and this person and try and imitate this person. I just want to be myself right now. And this gave me the space to do it. And then that space just expanded in such a bigger bigger way you know people were attracted to your authenticity yeah and that's what it is v it's attract yeah. versus chase attract that, versus chase there that john always okay. talks about yeah so there you go it's like they're attracted to that so you're putting out there your authentic nature your authentic self right which was kind of your moment where you were like fuck it i'm gonna do me mm -hmm. and in turn people are attracted to that there's something about when somebody's standing in their their themselves right their authentic yeah. nature that just resonates outward and people are drawn to that mm -hmm. yeah. absolutely yeah, I thought, you know, so much of what you were saying, Renee, I resonated with so deeply in just this, you know, I am a yoga teacher, right? And so I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska, certainly had a lot of the experience of being othered as like, from Nebraska. you're what? My stepdad's from Nebraska. Oh, really? Tell him I said what's up. That kind of people in the Midwest, tell them I said hi. Yeah, but... You know, I feel like there's this experience of growing up the only black kid in Nebraska, basically, when I grew up there, it's changed now, but, you know, being othered. And then when I became a yoga teacher, I very much had this experience of feeling a little intimidated by being the only black one in the room and maybe like around a lot of wealthy people. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's this, this narrative that we carry from our childhood or like the energy that we felt yeah. at these moments in our childhood that sort of carry forward. And I feel like I heard you speaking to, to that a little bit when you talked about your experience of teaching early on. Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, 
growing up in Venice and growing up in West LA, like my parents were, you know, I mean, we were poor, <laughs> do you know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like we were on welfare, like the whole gamut. And, um, you know, just kind of growing up in, in a place where you just kind of, you know, you did what you had to do, but also you, you just kind of accepted the narrative, you know? Mm -hmm. And then for me, being now working in a place like, you know, Kinetic, that's what it was called, at the boutique studio, and then being around different people, but not even just so much that, just the mindset, how different it was, mm. you know, for me, it was just interesting. It was intimidating, but it was also interesting as well to me too, you know? And I knew a couple things. I knew one, I really wanted to learn, but I wanted to learn not not for the game of like, oh, I want to make as much money as they do or something, you know what I'm saying? I actually wanted to learn how I can actually inspire people, do you know what I'm saying, that have done so much or achieved so much in a way with my experiences. Right. You know what I'm saying? Um, that was actually the, the biggest thing for me, just being able to dive into that because, mm -hmm. I mean, I was surrounded by it and, you know, I got to learn and conversate and I made great relationships. But I think the biggest thing was, once again, going back to just you know, being myself, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> I remember one of the guys, his name's Todd Salmon, and he used to be um, a part of this private equity firm. And <laughs> I used to drive, or I used to work for my boss and run errands and stuff like that at the boutique studio. And I drove a 1992 Cadillac uh, <laughs> DeVille. <laughs> and this thing was a boat. Like, <laughs> like, I would hit a bump and we'd still be rocking just like <laughs> this whole time. <laughs> And I remember one time my boss was like, you're not doing chores or you're not doing the errands or whatever in that car. You use my car. And um, he drove like a bigger, newer Escalade or something like that. And I remember going to pick him up and Todd was like, why'd you bring this? Like, where's, where's the Snoop DeVille? Like, I want that. But from, from, from such a real place, it, it allowed me to be myself and not be afraid to be myself, hmm. you know? Um, no matter the circumstances, um, no matter where I came from, no matter the color of my skin, none of that. Like, you know, I was really able to be myself. It was appreciated yeah. so much. I love that. Do you feel like you were, how do I, how do I pose this question? Do you feel like you were more accepted uh, because of showing up authentically than maybe pr like prior when you were still trying to do like, oh, I'm going to play this song or I'm going to do it like he did it or whatever? Like, did you feel a shift and actually, I mean, I, I guess I used the word accepted earlier, but, but what I mean in it more like when you guys were talking about, you know, this difference, right? I mean, yes. you are this, you know, you're a black kid who grew up poor and now you're working in Brentwood. And for those of you guys who are in LA, like Brentwood, West LA is like, it's, it's pretty bougie, right? I mean, there's a yeah. lot of rich white people, let's be real. Mm -hmm. um, and do you feel like once you were able to step into your authenticity, you kind of felt like you were, you know, accepted? Like, how did that change for you, I guess? Um, it changed for me. Definitely more so respected. Okay. Then I think that was the biggest thing. Yeah. I think that they they saw my struggle. Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? And and they saw me working hard. You know, they saw me doing the things that I needed to do in terms of like I was the first person at that studio and I yeah. was the last person to leave. Even mm -hmm. when I wasn't on the clock, I was looking at other instructors teach and you know mm -hmm. jotting down notes. Um, when I was working the front desk, I was learning people's names. I was, you know what I'm saying? And I, I actually knew about their lives. And mm -hmm. I made it a point to learn, you mm -hmm. know, and I was really eager to learn. Yeah. And I think that was a big thing that a lot, of, um, a lot of people saw, you know, from that workspace was they saw like, okay, he's, you know, he's not just saying he wants things, he's doing it. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like he's going about it. He's asking questions, like all, all these different things. But then also too, I wasn't, you know, accepting the narrative of like, oh, you know, I'm just a product of my environment. I really wanted to change that. And I felt that it was important for me to change that, you know, and I honestly feel that I do feel that everything happens for a reason. I feel that me going on Craigslist and finding that job, you know, mm. what I'm saying happened for a reason. I feel that me learning how to become a cycling instructor, you know, there specifically and making the relationships that I did there and and everything kind of blowing up the way that it did, it all happens for a reason, you know? And I'm truly grateful that it did happen in that way. And I feel like because it happened that way, I was well-equipped to, you know, even go to Equinox. You know, Equinox is definitely a place too that is one in the like, you know? But money and all that stuff aside, I think what it did was it gave me tools to actually understand that 
humans are humans, you know, mm -hmm. no matter what we're going through, we all need a push. We all need inspiration. We mm -hmm. all need to be motivated. Um, no matter in what area in our lives. And then, you know, as you said before, like, I do want my classes to be something extra. You know, I don't want it to just be, you know, just, okay, here's how you cycle and here's how you run and, and that's yes. it. But I feel like everyone can take away something a little bit more from each class because you're going through something at that time. You know what I'm saying? And I'm sure there are times when you could be in a class or you could be doing any kind of workout and your mind goes to something. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? Your mind kind of relates the struggle that you're going through physically to something else that you might be going through in another area in your life. And the act of you pushing through, I feel, translates to that other part. You know, I feel that's why it's important for us to really stay active and, you know, and really push ourselves in such a sense because, you know, say you get done with a really hard run, then you're like, you feel good. You, know, you feel accomplished. You know, you're, you're now putting yourself in a place that's where if I can do that, then I can do anything. It you permeates know? out. Exactly. And I think that's, it's funny. I, um, I really like this author I've been really into right now, this guy named Ryan Holiday. I don't know if you guys have heard of him. Yeah. 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 So I've been kind of checking his stuff out lately, you know, and I was listening to one of his, um, he has like the, the, daily, uh, the daily Stoic yeah. meditations. Okay. And uh, I was listening to one yesterday, actually. I listened to it a little bit today, too, where he's talking about how, how it's important to go through the struggle. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. How the struggle really teaches us so much. But most importantly, it really teaches us that, you know what, like, you know, you, you could be bruised and, and battered and bloody and all that, but you know what to expect. You know what I'm saying? You've been mm -hmm. through it. Like, you know what I'm saying? You, you, you put yourself in a position where you know how to struggle. And so now you're able to really push even harder. I, I really feel like fitness was definitely for me the catalyst to try and, you know, give so many messages in class. You know, I have a nickname called the preacher around Equinox. You are. Each class. It, the way that you're describing it, it, it's to me, it's like each class is a metaphor for life or like each mm, fitness yeah. experience mm -hmm. is a metaphor for life, right? Each individual one hour, 40 minute, whatever mm -hmm. workout in itself can be a metaphor for life if you mm -hmm. look at it that way. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that. And, you know, I was thinking as you were talking about like synchronicity a little bit and everything happens for a reason. And obviously V and I come from a depth psychology background. So there's a lot of like a spiritual aspect in terms yeah. of the way that, um, we do therapy with people, right? Like there's a component of that. And I feel that so often in your posts, Renee, and there was, you know, well, you talk about this a lot in class, but there was a specific post recently that reminded me so much of one of my spiritual teachers that I love, Wayne Dyer, where you were talking about like, how are you going to give back, right? Like if it's all about the chase, if it's all about what's in it for you, it's never going to happen. But like, if you're in that space of service, if you're in that space of how can I like give to the greater good? It will have a different effect, you know? And I think he has this um, mantra of, the mantra of the lower self is I need more. The mantra of the higher self is how do I serve? And hearing that really shifted things for me, right? Like if I consistently come back to that space, everything feels a little different. And I hear you talk in that way. And I'm a little bit curious, like where that perspective of service came from for you. Oh, geez, I, I feel like for me in many different areas, so I grew up in kind of a religious household as well, too. You know, we went to a church, um, which the church kind of dismantled over financial stuff. But um, the church was a very fire and brimstone church. It was one of those where it's like, you take a bad picture on picture day, you're going to hell. It's like, <laughs> it was really intense, you know. And um, I remember when I was 16, I started to kind of waver, you know, when it came to a lot of the principles that the church had. because. It was one of those things where the interpretation of the Bible and all that was a bit different. You know, it was definitely geared more to, you know, evangelism, you know, mm -hmm. like the whole goal of the church was just to evangelize, 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 you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I was losing a lot of friends because I felt that if they weren't a part of, you know, the, our church or the church, then, you know, they were unbelievers. And in the mm -hmm. Bible, it said, don't be yoked with unbelievers. And, mm -hmm. you know, what I'm so I, was, I literally started cutting people out of my life in that way. Mm -hmm. And then I remember a couple of years after that, I was just like, what did I do? Like, I have no friendships. I feel mm -hmm. like, you know, I, I literally just ruined a lot of, you know, everything that was good in my life, like good friendships in my life, good, you know, and families and stuff like that. You know, so I took a step back and then I remember I started to really try and dive into 
how do I put it? I don't, I don't want to say religion, just, just a, a better spiritual sense of self. I think that was the biggest thing because I just felt like that approach just wasn't right. And so I started kind of studying out a bit more Jesus and kind of what his walk was and, and, and not to sound too religious, but the biggest example, you know, whether you, you know, believe in Jesus or not, the biggest example that you can get from him was that he was of service. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? He served, you know, that, that was his biggest, biggest thing. I really, I really took note of that. And I really took note of, you know, and I studied the Bible a lot. I really took note of, of how, you know, he treated all the people that didn't really seem like they were Christian-like, you know? Like when they say, who did he hang out with? He hung out with criminals. Lepers uh, and whores lepers, and all the things. Yeah. <laughs> all of that. Yeah, you know? right. So I'm like scratching my head like, okay, okay, this, some of this makes sense. So mm. I really started to study that out. But I think most importantly, I think for me, as I studied that out, I started to see it in my life. So once again, how everything happens for a reason. I got into fitness, yes, because I, I felt like I needed something, you know, from it. I didn't understand what yet. I didn't understand it until later. But a byproduct of that was me being good at it. And then me being good at it, I started to kind of attract attention. Like, okay, hey, how do you do this? How do you do that? You know, you're in really good shape or this and that. And so I started to coach people, you know, but I started to coach them for free. This wasn't like a thing. This wasn't like, a, oh, I'm going to make money now. This mm-hmm. was more of like, oh my gosh, let me show you because this workout actually works. Or, you know what I'm saying? Right. This and that. And so I think subconsciously, I, I've always wanted to help people with the tools that I had. Mm-hmm. You know, I've always came from a place as to where it's like, hey, if you, if you, like, if you have it, like share. If you've got great information in terms of something that, you know, could work for someone else, share it. Like, you mm-hmm. know, like put it out there. And so for me, I just felt so much better doing that. I felt mm-hmm. so much better hearing from people being like, hey, I tried this, this exercise out and I feel amazing. And I'd be like, yeah, you know? But I never thought for one second when I started that I'd be doing it as a profession. And so now I just feel like it all makes sense because I put service first. You know, I put, I put service first and maybe even sometimes almost to a fault. I don't know, you know, mm-hmm. but like I put service first and then everything else just literally just falls into place. Everything I like I'm taking care of. I, it's hard to explain because it happens in such an amazing way. It's not like a, it's not like a transaction, right. you know? It's like, I, I, I do this, I'm, you know, I'm saying I'm nice to this person. And then four weeks down, you know, I'm saying something happens because mm-hmm. of my service to that person. You know, now I have this opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yes. For example, let me give you this. I recently picked up a client, right? And, uh, and I've been saying this to people that I want to actually get into doing fitness for treatment centers. Mm-hmm. And um, I kind of wrote it in my goal book and stuff like that. And uh, I pick up a new client. You know, she's definitely very guarded and she's very, you know, very much like, hey, like, you know, I don't like to do this. I don't like to jump. I don't like to, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, and I was <laughs> like, oh, this is, this is going to be tough, you know? But we hit it off right away. We hit it off right away. Uh, our energies really meshed well together. And um, we had a couple break breakthrough sessions as to where I told her, I was like, hey, I'm going to turn you into a runner. Like I've already decided. And then she just started crying. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I've wanted someone to tell me this for so long. Like, and you know what I'm saying? It was weird. Wow. But bottom line here is this. She actually owns a treatment center. Mm-hmm. I had no clue about. And mm-hmm. she's like, hey, I actually wanted to know if you'd be able to teach at one of my treatment centers that I own in West in Westchester, you know, X, Y, and Z. And I was just kind of like, I had to take a step back where I was just yeah. kind of like, wait, what? Like, yeah. this is, this is weird. So once again, putting service first mm-hmm. and then literally you don't know what can happen down the road, but I think the blessings just come. I really, I love yeah, I love so much that that has come from an intuitive space of observing your life and seeing how things unfold and mm-hmm. that understanding just coming, you know, versus yeah. someone sort of giving you that awareness and then Absolutely. that that's just what has been true for you. And that's now how you live your life. I love yeah. that so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Danae mentioned to me too, like you've done, you've done kind of your own, your own therapy work. And so, you know, as mm-hmm. you're talking about um, I think when you were like 16 and this whole kind of spiritual, I would say like reawakening, it mm. sounds like, and all of these things that you've gone through at what point kind of where did therapy fit in 
to that journey for you? Was that around that time when you were like in high school? Um, therapy actually came in later. Much okay. later. I want to say therapy came in when I was about 29. Funny, growing up in that, in, the, in like kind of the religious background, you know, everything is just attributed to like, God has all the answers. Mm-hmm. God has a, you know what I'm saying? Like, you want to know how to fix this? God Outside has of you. Exactly, you know? Yeah. And I didn't really get it, understand it, and it was hard for me to relate to it because I felt like, you know, be, me being in, you know, in that religious environment didn't serve me. So I'm just like, I, who has the answers? Or, it's, right. you know, what do I do? I went through a really, a really bad episode, a really bad depressive episode. So, so I do suffer from depression. Um, my mom actually is bipolar. And uh, one of my sisters uh, suffers from depression as well. So, and it's, it's one of those things where once again, you know, we've kind of lived this life as to where it's like, you know, this is what it is, you know? Um, but I, de- I ended up going through a really bad episode when I was about 28, 29. Funny enough, uh, the head of the front desk, like the, the, the studio manager for Connect where I work, her sister actually co-owns a practice, uh, this DBT practice in West LA. Mm. And she's like, hey, I think you should really go see my sister. You know, mm. she'd love to have you, blah, blah, blah. I didn't really know what like therapy was about and stuff like that, you know. I saw a psychiatrist once before. I didn't really know what it was about or anything like that. So I went, from that point is where I really started to see the benefits of what therapy was all about. Where, mm. you know, being able to talk to someone and really, you know, from all places, you know, as to where what my insecurities were, uh, what my thoughts were uh, in terms of things that I felt guilty about because of the way that I lived my life before. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, in other places, it seems healthy. Like, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I, I was really confused, you know, and I didn't really, I didn't really know where to turn. The place is called Westside DBT. Shout out to them because you're awesome. <laughs> I think personally for me, it really gave me a chance to search feelings out that I've had for the longest time, Mm. you know, which I've kind of always suppressed where I've always Mm -hmm. kind of kept down, you know, things, especially even to later in my career where, you know, things start to build and things start to like, you know, and people are looking at you as like this coach and this leader. And then you feel like you need to be here all the time. You know, you feel like you need to, you know, be riding high, you know? And I started to really feel the wear and tear of that, where I'm just kind of like, I-, I can't keep this up, you know? Persona, right? <laughs> yeah. Like keeping up you that, know? yeah, charade. That's the thing, you know? And so I-, I definitely learned a lot. I learned a lot about balance. Yeah, it's, it's important, you know? It's mm. important. But I think later on in my years, that's when, you know, I really started to get really introduced to therapy and really, really started to see the benefits of it. Yeah, I think that's, you know, so much of what I think V and I explore with clients and talk about with clients is this thing of like, the answers are within you. And I think when right. we are taught at a young age that sort of the answers come from an external place, or if you just follow this path, the answers will be there. It does lead to a point where we, you know, as adults have this moment of like, what now? Like, what's the roadmap now? I feel confused because you guys haven't given me the roadmap from here. And that's when we look inward, right? Like mm-hmm. that's when we start doing that work of like finding my truth, my answers for myself. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's funny. My sister just started therapy a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. and it made me so happy, like mm-hmm. so, so happy, you know? And she's the one that reached out to me. She's like, Hey, so uh, that therapy thing you do, like, <laughs> is it good? like it, it's really funny, but it's like, it's, I think throughout this whole season that we're going through right now, mm-hmm. I think it's bringing a lot of awareness, you know, to people that like, hey, yep. like, yep. I am not okay. You know, when people are, you know, left to just stay at home and think about what's happening in their lives and what they're feeling and it's, you know what I'm saying? And yeah, yeah I think there's a, there's a big, a big realization that like, I should probably talk to someone or I should probably reach out to someone, you know? I think that's exactly what my sister did. And I think that's a lot, that's exactly what a lot of people are doing right now too, yeah, you know? I agree. Um, yeah. So. Well, it, it sounds like during this whole um, quarantine that we're in right now, you started a project, right? And Danae, you were, you're yeah. actually taking part in it, right? Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. killing me. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you're killing it. You're rocking it. Yeah. And I think, you know, so much of what you do every day for people is to sort of like allow them to be where they are. Right. I'm like, I might not get to the 101 miles, but I'm going to do it the best I can show up for myself every day. And that's, that's the, the best whole I can point. And that's yeah. Well, tell us about it, Renee. Tell us Literally. so people know what this, this project is. 101 Absolutely. Miles. So basically, so my friend Calvin and I um, started this challenge 
-hmm. And it started as the 100 miles in 30 day challenge, but now it's the 101 mile challenge. Mm -hmm. And basically when all this started, we were kind of able to evaluate like what was going down in our lives. Like where we're at, like, we're like, okay, where am I at financially? Where am I, you know, where am I at in terms of my, my mental state? Like, am I in need? Am I good? Once we kind of figured that out and we kind of started to see what was going on and, you know, what people were going through, we just decided like, Hey, you know what? Like, let's start a challenge. I mean, we, we, we weren't on full lockdown. We saw that, you know, we were under safer at home, so we could still go outside for, uh, for air and for exercise and stuff like that. Go outside for air, <laughs> fresh air, all that. <laughs> but I think the biggest thing was that we saw a lot of people that just felt helpless. Mm. You know, like the gyms weren't open, like they couldn't go to therapy. They couldn't, you know what I'm saying, do all these different things. And they were just kind of like, well, you know, that's, that's that, you know? We're like, you know what? No, we, we got to really do our best to try and keep people moving here because that is going to do so much for not only your physical, but your mental. And so we decided to come up with this challenge and right away, people just signed up. Mm. I'm talking like we kind of, we, we did like a little pre like teaser, like, hey, I think, we, you know, we're going to do this, blah, blah, blah. Here's the, here's the sign up. And like 250 people signed up on the first night. And we're just kind of like, wait, what? And then the opening day, we had like 500 people already listed, ready to go. And it just kind of blew up. The yeah. first month went great. And then the second month numbers doubled. It was just insane. And, and I'm talking, we have people all over the world doing this. We have yeah. people in Berlin checking in. We have people in Saudi Arabia checking in. We have people in Alaska. We have people in Turkey. We have people in Australia and Hawaii. It's insane, you know? But, I but think for the non-runners, just so I can like in layman, because I'm a non-runner, the oh, layman yeah. term, so is it just doing thing. 101 miles within a 30-day period? Uh -huh. And it's like accumulation. Okay. Absolutely. And you don't have to run it. You could walk it as well, too. That was a big thing. We, we call it the run walk challenge. <laughs> yeah, you know? Um, and that's a big, And that's a big thing. We wanted people to just, you know, get after the miles in general. But- right. You know, just getting after the miles is going to do so many other things for you. You know, right. hey, if you're waking up consistently and trying to get these miles in, you're already creating a habit for yourself, mm. you know? And so you're already creating healthy habits. You're already creating, you know, a mindset as to where it's like, hey, I made a commitment. I'm going to honor my commitment to get these 101 miles in. And you do the best that you can. There's also the little lessons of how the little things add up. You know, mm -hmm. when, when I tell people to get 101 miles in, you know, in the month, People are like, wait, what? That's a lot of miles, blah, blah, blah. But once they get started mm. and then they start to see the miles add up, mm -hmm. then they're like, wait a second. I can, I can actually do this. I yeah. can actually do this. Like, you know what I'm saying? And then the more momentum they get, like, it's just unbelievable to see people just take off, mm -hmm. you know? And um, there's people that, you know, were elite runners that are doing it. There are people that haven't ran in their lives that are doing this, you know? And once again, like I said, the bigger picture is more the habits that you're creating, more what it's doing for your mindset. And then even when it's all said and done, like I had people the last month's challenge uh, message me and just basically say, I never thought I can do this. And mm -hmm. you know, I had people that were so overwhelmed with joy that they literally clocked in a hundred miles. And, and it was just, it's really exciting to see that side of them just kind of, you know, come out. But Overall, I think it created a big sense of hope as well, too. You know, that it's also I, a sense of community, you know, yeah. like, I feel like that's one of the kind of, I guess, quote unquote, silver linings of this whole mm -hmm. uh, pandemic that I've seen is that people like you are putting together and organizing these, these amazing programs yeah. and people are coming together from all over the world virtually, yeah. right? Yeah. And doing it. And, and it is creating a sense of community when we're all Absolutely. isolated. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love it. It's, and that's, and that's the big, I've always wanted to have a sense of community in my classes in mm -hmm. general, like when I am teaching. So this was definitely something that translated in that sense as well, you know, mm -hmm. and I was blown away by how, how much it spread, you know, I think that was a big thing. Another thing in my goal book that I said was that, and I started this goal book actually at the beginning of this pandemic was that I wanted to inspire people all over the world. And I didn't know how, like I, I didn't, you know what I'm saying? And so the other day I was running and I was literally thinking about how great it is. I'm like, wow, like, you know, people in Berlin are doing this. Like, and then it just clicked. I'm like, wait a second. There are people doing this all over the world right now. This is kind of trippy, you know? And how something like walking and running 
can just bring so many people together. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that that was the that was my favorite part. My favorite part out of all of this was to just see so many people come together as one when it comes to this. You know. Yeah. So powerful. You're a powerful manifester, Renee. <laughs> and, you know, I think what I would love to see, just an idea to throw out there, is like you in my ear while I'm running. Like, if no, you're, I'm you know, not, thinking about not. next steps, because we yeah. might need it, because your classes were impossible. So could you do that for us? You know, you're not the first person to ask me that, which is so funny. <laughs> so funny. You know, it's, I have all these like different ideas, you know, that I want to do in terms of, you know, get, mm. definitely getting you know, inspiration out there. And a lot of it is new for me. A lot of it is me kind of getting out of my own way and getting out of my own ego as well, too. Mm -hmm. Like, before this whole pandemic started, I was not the one to talk into the camera, like, Mm -hmm. you know, on Instagram. Like, I just wasn't, I I couldn't do it. Like, it was Mm -hmm. tough for me. You know, just kind of like one of those things where I'm kind of sharing about my day where, hey guys, talk to you, you know what I'm saying? Like, I I was petrified to do it, you know? And I would kind of mask it as like, Nah, I don't have to, you know, I'll put up a post or something like that. But the calling was greater. The calling was greater than mm. any type of feeling that I had mm. about that. And I knew that it was important for me that if I had any kind of, you know, skill or inspiration to give, then I needed to talk. I needed right. to speak up. I needed to say something. I needed to get over my fear of talking in the camera. I needed to get over that. And I feel like, you know, through this whole pandemic, that's what happened. Like, you know, on the regular basis, this is why you've probably seen like my check-ins that I'll do, you know, Mm -hmm. good morning, fam, you know, (laughs) this and that. That is me practicing. That is Mm -hmm. me training. That is, that is me. People think, oh yeah, you know, he's just doing this thing. But honestly, to me, that's me (laughs) petrified, you know, getting Mm -hmm. it, like, you know, stepping into my struggle and doing that on a regular basis you know? Getting out of your own way. It's bigger than you at that point. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and and that's, and that's, that's one of the biggest lessons that I needed to learn, you know, because I I truly feel, and I was telling a lot of my friends, this is that this whole pandemic, I feel like a lot of, a lot of people are going to rise up. A lot of heroes, a lot of leaders are going to rise up, you know, because this is kind of a calling, you know, Mm -hmm. this is kind of a calling for people to step into some roles that, they've been needing to step into, you know, and I I think we're seeing it a lot, you know, so. Well, and you are certainly one of those people and, you know, it's nice to have this opportunity to thank you as one of the people that you've impacted with the way that you are showing up and, you know, challenging yourself to step into this, this calling, this service. I appreciate that. I I really do. Uh, (laughs) You know, keeping it real, it's not easy, you know, Mm. it's definitely not easy because, you know, when, when you definitely come from a place, you know, where, you know, you want to do what's best and stuff like that. But sometimes you're, you're, you're afraid, you know, the biggest thing you're afraid of is what are other people going to think? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? What are other people going to think if I post this? What are other people going to think if I say this, you know, you know, so yeah, those, you know, I still have my insecurities and my mm-hmm. fears and all of that, you know, as well too, you know, but I feel like even the work that you guys do here, I think it's amazing. You know, I, I think it's honestly amazing because it takes, leaders to really show the way you know it takes leaders to kind of like create the path mm-hmm. you know and i i see what you do here and i look at your posts and i think we had a small conversation on instagram <laughs> before it takes people like that and, and i commend you guys for doing this i think it's amazing oh, thank you Well, so we have a couple of questions that we ask all of our guests, if you'd be open. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, the first question we always ask is, what is flow state for you? So flow state being, um, I could do this all day um, for hours on end. I completely lose myself when I'm in this space and I would, I would do it forever if I could. Mm-hmm. I know I'm going to sound real cliche saying this, but running. <laughs> running is my flow state. It really is. Um, I feel, I feel like, and I, I watched a TED talk on flow state actually, mm. and it was the first thing I thought about. And at the beginning, I feel like with every time I run, and I think, you know, some runners can relate to this or whatever it is that you do sometimes some, to get into that flow state. I feel like the beginning can be a little bit kind of like, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to find balance. So, you, you know, you're trying to you know, find your bearings or whatever, but like 
once you get into a place for me, once I get into a place with my running, with my stride, with my pace, as to where I'm able to breathe easy, I'm able to have a good strong stride where I just feel like everything is just going on its own. Mm. That's when I feel like I'm in my flow state the most. And all of, and I'm sure you've heard people say this, all of my best ideas mm. come at me when I'm running. Yeah. All of them. Like all of my best ideas, all of my best like uh, projects that I want to do, they all come at me when I'm running. It's just frustrating sometimes because there are times when I'll think about things and I'm like, oh, that's great, you know? <laughs> but I, I can't stop running because <laughs> I'm like trying to run at a specific like pace and I'm like, I can't, if I stop now, then, you know what I'm saying? So many times where I literally- Voice memo, just, voice memo. <laughs> seriously, you know, so many times where I just want to stop and be like, <laughs> and then yeah. I go, you know? And if yeah. I did that, I'll do that probably like 15, 20 times throughout my run. Yeah. You, know, you definitely I, brought that it back to me because I used to have that in running and this, this challenge has brought that back. I've had yeah. so many creative moments of just like, oh, I just had a powerful realization on this. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, thank you for that. Absolutely. No, no, no. Thank you. Like that is, I feel where I hit all of my best ideas. That's why I feel really good. That's why I feel mm. like it's just super flowy. I feel like I'm at home. Beautiful. Love that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the next one's a little heavier. Mm. Um, but the question is what breaks your heart? Ooh, that's a real heavy one. That's a good <laughs> one too. What breaks my heart is seeing people that I know and that I love, or maybe just in the general public, seeing people not do what they should do. Mm. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, basically like, uh, if you know the good that you ought to do and you don't do it, mm -hmm. I think that's what breaks my heart. You know, I feel like there's a lot, there's a lot going on right now uh, where we need people to speak up, where we need people to take a stand. And I think a lot of times people are quiet, you know, and I feel like, you know, us as human beings, we, we have a responsibility to stand up for what's right, you know, to do the right thing. You know, I feel like we don't, we don't get to not do the right thing. Mm. You know, we don't get to not care. You know, I feel like that's, that's huge for me. I feel, you know, you see someone fall down, you know, go and see if they're okay. You know, I think that a lot of times we can see people like, oh, okay, you know, that, that happened or whatever, but they don't pay it any mind because they, they, they can't be bothered. Do you know what I'm saying? Or they don't want to ruffle feathers. That is something that really breaks my heart. I feel like it's important for us to really stand up for what's right. It's important for us to speak up. It's important for us to be there for the people that can't be there for themselves. Mm. Um, I think that's huge. So that is probably the biggest thing that breaks my heart mm. is seeing when people can do, you know, the right thing and they don't do it. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. And then one last one's kind of a light one, but uh, what's your favorite food, Renee? Ooh. <laughs> That's a tough one to answer as well, too, because I actually am a foodie. Um, I love Mexican food. Mm. Love Mexican food. That's, You're an LA guy, of course. I, I know. I know. I love Mexican food. I will say that I am trying to be, ever since this whole thing happened, I've definitely had a lot more time to cook. Mm. Um, so, And I'm not a cook. <laughs> uh, so I'm trying a lot of things. And one of the things I've been trying is actually to try and eat plant-based. Um, yes, I, I definitely, yeah, I, I thought you guys would like that. <laughs> um, I will say, though, that it is tougher than it seems. Mm. Like, it's funny because I'm at a point right now, and if you guys have any tips, please let me know. So at first, I was, like, really getting into it, and I'm learning a lot in terms of cooking. And as I said, preference before, I'm not a great cook. So when I started, I'm like, buying all this spinach right i'm like spinach yeah just toss it all in the pan like that and then after i cook it there's nothing in the pan and i'm like what's going on am i doing something wrong like you know so oh sweetie that makes me want to reach out and rest we're like oh love you so, so I switched up to broccoli. That's that's a bit, you know, that, that stays in the pan at least. Um, and so I'm at a point now where I'm trying a lot of vegetables, you know, broccoli, uh, cauliflower, squash, all of that, you know. 
what do you do to just keep it interesting? Like what, you know, what's, what's, what's the biggest thing? And I don't know what your backgrounds are in terms of like going plan based, but um, for me, I came from a background as to where your meal didn't feel complete if it didn't have like any kind of meat in it or anything like that, yeah. you know? And so now I kind of, I weaned off the meat. Now I'm actually not eating meat at all. But it, it's tough. I yeah. feel like it's tough. I feel like, I don't know if there's like a, a tipping point that you have to reach or what. I think the easiest thing that I've, that I've given recommendations to people who are doing this like you for the first time. I mean, first off, I've been a vegetarian for like 20 something years. So at this yeah. point, it's like second nature for me. But yeah. go online and search for recipes that are called Buddha bowls. Uh-huh. Which I mean, you know, we live in LA. Everybody's yeah. got bowls on their menu, yeah. but it's a really easy way. Like what I'll do is like on a Sunday or a Monday, I'll mm-hmm. cook a base. I'll cook yeah. a big pot of a base, right? So whether uh-huh. a quinoa or a rice or something, yeah. mm-hmm. and I'll leave it in the fridge all week mm-hmm. and I'll put that as my base. And then I will do a mix of like different kind of potatoes, sweet potatoes, whatever, different kind of vegetables, you know, maybe sauerkraut, maybe kimchi, whatever the other mixtures are. And then maybe like one sauce for the week. And then you can okay. throw things together. Yeah with a base and it's yeah. it's easy you don't have to be a chef to do it because you're just making yeah. everything separately and then yeah. it's healthy and plant-based that's my okay. biggest suggestion okay all right i'm gonna check that out i think <laughs> i think for me being i guess maybe a combination of both didn't work well for me being that <laughs> i am you know just now really learning how to cook and then also trying to be plant-based so i think you know a lot of like me just doing all of that at the same i commend time. you i commend you, you know? so, and it's a good time to do it because from is. what i'm hearing animal protein is kind of hard to come by these days or at least more expensive oh yes i remember when this whole when the pandemic started and i went to i went grocery shopping when everyone was buying everything off the shelves i remember and i think i took a picture of it all the all the meat and poultry section was just dry except for one christmas ham one ninety dollar one ninety dollar christmas ham and i'm like yeah, I understand why that will stay there, probably. Yeah. Look good on the Christmas Sam. Yeah, I'm, I'm, oh, I'm okay. I'm okay. Well, <laughs> Renee, thank you so much for doing this. Thank, thank you for the you. way that you are showing up in the world right now and just um, giving people a lot of hope, I feel like, um, during a time where it's really easy to feel hopeless. I feel like you are showing up and saying, you know what? Like, I remember one of your posts was like, nope, 2020 is not canceled. Strike that, not doing it, not happening. And I really feel like we need that. So thank you Absolutely. for what you're doing. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you yeah. for being of service. Of course, of course, of course. Such a pleasure. I will see you guys soon, hopefully. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> All right, Renee. Hopefully, okay. we'll have you in our ear soon with this app. I feel like something's coming. Nothing, Maybe nothing. I'll start running. We'll see. Ah! <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us, you can find us on Instagram at Vanessa S. Bennett and at Danae Logan Selkin.